Do you feel like you're the only young person who cares about your Catholic faith? Do you look around at mass and only see silver foxes? We're Jake and Kathy, a young adult married couple, and we're here to tell you, you're not alone. That's why it's time to get Truth Pops. You're going to get a podcast designed specifically for you, a young adult Catholic in a pop culture world. The countdown is on for Truth Pop. We'll connect Christ into culture. Live from a bunker in the heart of the Ozarks, a podcast that's no longer living in a comfort inn, it's Sif Welcome to Sif Pop Weekly, streaming live most weekends or available to download later in your podcast feed. Unless, of course, you're a patron. Patrons get perks. Patrons get those perks. Sing up! <laughs> that was good. That was so good. That was very well done. I'm your host, Thanks. Aaron Dicer, and bicycling isn't one of his core strengths. It's Andrew Ormsby, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it's really not. It's been, oh, oh, it has to be over a decade since I've been on a bike. Yeah. 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 I uh, I rode my bike uh, over 55 miles last week. Uh, I'm, I'm on a bike kick, man. Yeah. Yeah. There you go, Armstrong. And then I ate, like, you know, a whole, ex- a whole right extra now. pizza uh, just to undo all the wonderful uh, calorie burning <laughs> that I did. That's my problem. Every time I exercise, it's like, well, guess I get to eat more food now. Uh, yeah. So, anyhow. Uh, each week we're going to... Did I already do that? Each week we're going to chat about movies, television, and whatever else from the pop culture universe is on our minds. And if I already said that, then we'll say it again. Uh, but yeah. I'm, I'm glad to do it. Uh, we have got Enola Holmes dropped from Netflix, and we're going to chat a little bit about that. Uh, we have got Console Wars on CBS All Access, uh, the documentary on uh, the video game uh, company Sega and how they took on Nintendo. Uh, and so we're going to talk a little bit about that. But we're just going to hang out with you and talk pop culture. It's what we do every Sunday afternoon live uh, around 130 Central Time. So if you're listening to this on the podcast and you want to hang out with us live, uh, either subscribe to the Sift Pop YouTube channel, youtube.com uh, slash Sift Pop, uh, or the Twitch channel, which is uh, my name, twitch.com slash Aaron Dicer. Uh, follow, follow either Sift Pop or me on uh, Twitter. Uh, you can watch it there through Periscope. Uh, as well as the uh, the other social media network that shall not be named um, with the, the blue F. Uh, you can watch it there as well. Uh, that is uh that media site.com uh slash sift pop s-i-f-t-p-o-p i hate to be that guy aaron yeah but you said twitch.com oh did i it's not twitch.com yeah. is it it's twitch.tv it is twitch.tv i apologize for that hate no, to I, be that guy but no I no please be that guy because i do i forget that kind of thing uh and so no i'm, I'm glad you cleared that up uh to yeah. those watching live now thank you for hanging out here uh we appreciate you we can see your comments no matter where they come from any of those places and it's a really kind of uh fun experience for instance evan has already said uh let me know if you need a cycling buddy i ride in your hood regularly so uh, I'll let you know, Evan. I'll let you know. Maybe we can, maybe we can get to 55 miles in uh, together. Tandem? No, no, Andrew. I don't. I don't need. I don't want to do a tandem bike. I'm not. I'm not looking to tandem ride. You know. I want a tandem ride. Uh, I just want to see what that's like. Have you never done it? No. Oh, okay. No, I I'm don't so- think that's. I don't think tandem is something a lot of people experience. I think that that's a very you know niche uh, experience. It's sort of like a. It's like one step above penny farthing as far as like <laughs> cycling weirdness. Nice. No, I you're you're right. I'm sure 100 percent you're right. I guess because I grew up in Michigan and would go to um, Mackinac Island occasionally on the north side of. There's an island right off the the north tip of the mitten uh, called Mackinac Island, and they don't allow cars there. And so you and it's a big island, so you have to like ride bikes all around. Well, they have tandem bikes there. Like all the time, so I, you know, I did a bicycle built for two. I think I did a bicycle built for three once. Um, so I guess I, Madness. yeah, I guess that is something that most people haven't done. But it's, I mean, it's a fine experience. It's, it's interesting to have to balance. Did you with really somebody pedal, else. or did you let the other two people pedal? <laughs> That's right. I made sure I sat in the back so that they wouldn't notice that I just had my feet propped up and <laughs> they were mm. doing all the work. Uh, pulling nice. me around the island. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, Alder Wahada says, uh, "How about unicycling to shake things up?" I do not currently have the core strength uh, to take on uni- unicycling. That is a 
That is a trip, man. I've, I, you my, know it's, my son has a unicycle, so I've I literally recently tried to sit on that thing, and it did not happen. So, uh, if if unicycles count, I recently, within the last like three years, tried one of those. Sat down. I didn't technically pedal, as I immediately fell off. So, <laughs> right. I uh, I don't think I can count it. But I sat on one. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what that's what I have done as well. I have sat on a unicycle uh, for a yeah. very short amount of time and then fallen off. Yeah. yeah this has been a SIF cycle. That's right. That's right. We're more than happy yeah. to bring you all the bicycling news. Uh, by the way, if you're a SIF Pop member, first of all, thank you for supporting the show and what goes on here and the website, uh, which if you haven't checked out SIFPOP.com recently, do that. But um, if you are a member, you will have in your members-only podcast feed uh, a conversation between Andrew and I on the news that Regal Cinemas, or uh, Cineworld, I think is their parent company, uh, planning on possibly shutting down uh, for a little while. And so we talked a little bit again about how we feel about how theater-going experience might be changing or will be changing and kind of went into that conversation. So if you're curious or interested in any of that, um, that's all available for our members at patreon.com slash sift pop. Uh, you ready to get into it, Andrew? Oh, let's make it happen, Captain. All right, let's kick it off by talking about Enola Holmes. A week ago, I awoke. Mother? To find that my mother was missing, and she did not return. I'm presently on the way to collect my brothers, Mycroft and Sherlock. Yes, Sherlock Holmes, the famous detective, my genius brother. He will have all the answers. Enola. Where's your hat and your gloves? Well, I have a hat. Just makes my head itch. And I have no gloves. My God. A wild woman brought up a wild child. Who will make her acceptable for society? She seems intelligent. While searching for her missing mother, intrepid, intrepid teen Enola Holmes uses her sleuthing skills to outsmart big brother Sherlock and help a runaway lord. Uh, this is a Netflix movie. Uh, came out, I think, about a week ago, and uh, we're finally getting around to seeing it. Uh, I think it's safe to say, Andrew, we're both fans of Sherlock Holmes. We love mysteries and those kind of things. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so we're, we both dig Sherlock Holmes, so this this will be a good conversation for us. Uh, what did you think, Andrew? Did you like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay? You know what? I am really close to saying I loved it. Ooh, so nice. I, but I will go... Super high side of really liked it. Very good. I think you liked it more than I did, but I am I'm strong. I am and liked it. Not even low side of liked it. I just I liked this movie. Um, yeah. There. I think there's really a lot to like here. Uh, I'm excited that it even um, you know tweaked that needle even a little further for you. Why don't you start then? Kind of. What are some of your your thoughts on the movie? Things that stood out to you? Uh, just uh, all the praise in the world to Millie Bobby Brown. Uh, so crazy good in this, and so uh charismatic and uh, a character that you just want to stay with the whole time. Like there's scenes where, uh, you know, obviously she can't be in every single scene, but there are scenes, you know, where it's uh, focusing on other characters. And I'm like, ah, go back to Enola, go yeah. back to Enola. <laughs> you know, uh, it's just, I think it's a testament to how good and how well she understood that character because with a character like her, you know, we're on her journey with her. Right, yeah. It's like we're experiencing everything for the first time with her because, and I think that that works well for a period piece. If you have someone who was raised in seclusion, you know, very, you know, isolated, and then they get to experience, you know, a time period for the first time, you're there with them experiencing that time period for the first time, you know? Um uh, so her reactions to, you know, uh, political or social mannerisms or ideals uh, is like you're like she may have. I think it's uh, not really a spoiler to say she has a semi modern uh, mentality towards things. Yes. So seeing a, an archaic misogynistic uh, societal standpoint that she is trying to navigate uh is very fascinating uh i like that i like that's how the movie decided to go i i agree with everything you're saying i think millie bobby brown makes this movie work more than anything else uh yeah. i i have an issue oftentimes with you know fourth wall narration breaking fourth wall narration 
the idea of it can become a, a real crutch and a real shortcut to doing the work that the movie should be doing in other places. The reason it works here, I think, for me is both her performance, which I think is really great, and also because there's something about this character that needs to converse with the audience. There's something about this character, the I think the... Um, well, I almost used the incorrect word, which would be childishness. That's a, that is a negative connotation, but the childlikeness, I guess, is the positive way to say that of this character. Uh, you know, even though she's beyond a child, you know, she's definitely uh, an older teenager. Uh, but there's some, there's a joy there of youth. There's a very youthful joy that this character has that I think has to escape from the stodgy world that the character is in and look us in the eye and wink at us. And you know. It, 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 both figuratively and literally in this movie, uh, you know, the wink plays a role in in how much you enjoy uh, that character. So if that's going to super annoy you, I would warn you about that. But I really do think it kind of works for this character, especially as good of a performance uh, as she's giving here. Yeah, to build on that, the way I interpreted that fourth wall meta breaking is this is a character, like we said, who was raised in isolation, who's had, you know... Uh, imaginary friends and stuff like that because there's nobody else around besides her mom. I took it as we as the audience are the imaginary friend mm-hmm. and that she's talking to her sure. imaginary friend which is us. You know, so it's she's kind of a Mr. Trying... Robot kind of thing, right? It's kind of a the... little bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So it's kind of like a it it turns a gimmick into an interesting storytelling aspect. Another reason why I liked it is because uh, it didn't really rely on the fourth wall, you know, talking to the camera. Sure. It, it was used sparingly enough to where it's not like, I'm not saying that it's it's used bad in this kind of, t- in this example, but uh, uh, Wayne's World, you know, uh, most of the movie is, you know, talking to the camera, you know. Uh, I love that movie, obviously. Right. But, the movie relies on that fourth wall, you know, story art, storytelling aspect. Um, this is you sparingly enough. I cannot say that word uh, <laughs> where uh, to where, you know, it doesn't feel overused or gimmicky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I enjoyed uh, very much about this. Uh, I, I just saw a, uh, a comment in the uh, the chat that says Ebola homes. And that just reminds me, every time I've tried to uh, text somebody about, hey, we're reviewing Enola Holmes, it autocorrects to Ebola every time. And I have to be like, nope, not Ebola Holmes. That's a totally different movie. Uh, but Enola Holmes uh, is the movie. Now you got to live about. on the edge, man, turn autocorrect off. Whoa. What would that yeah. be like? Be like my life ever since <laughs> I got a smartphone. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, let's talk about some of the other performances. We've got uh, Henry Cavill here, Sherlock Holmes. Uh, not really doing a ton, but I think he embodies the character well. He's a little too uh, friendly for Sherlock in some ways. Yes! Okay. That is my problem with the character. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, a couple things with this character. First off, um, I love the fact that this movie doesn't rely on Sherlock Holmes. I love it. He's, uh, he's more of a... Uh, I would say I'm not saying that they shouldn't should have done this, but if if Sherlock Holmes wasn't in this movie at all, I think it would have been fine because I don't think he really serves anything. I think the name alone mm-hmm. would let you know. Also, Sherlock Holmes is supposed to be tall, thin, ugly, and mean. Okay, all right. And they cast Henry Cavill, one of the most <laughs> charming, handsome, charismatic. Smiley, smile bound person. Certainly, ever. you're not saying other Sherlock Holmes actors haven't been. I like Robert Downey Jr. isn't exactly fit the description that you're talking about. Benedict Cumberbatch is certainly a fine looking man. Like, you know, it's, it's. I'm just going off what the book said. Okay, fair enough. Okay, fair but enough. in those two examples, they, yes, they're very handsome men. Don't get me wrong. But they embodied the mentality of Sherlock Holmes. of being just a that's what i think it is a really not good person well in 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 specifically being uh not socially it's not even that he's not socially aware he just doesn't care he's socially apathetic yeah. he d- he does not care how he comes off to you is my understanding yeah. of the character and that's part of you know his um yeah you know persona even Hugh Laurie's house which you know is a right. Holmes knockoff right of course uh, 
does not care about people cares about the 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 question yeah the search for truth you know that's what he cares about yeah and once that diagnosis is found then he then it's on to the next one yeah um i liked the fact that this movie and i didn't know it was going to do this but it sets you up for here is the central mystery slash question of enola's life but this is actually not really a movie about that. This is a this is a case of the week. This is you know you very quickly start to understand this is a movie about a detective case that Enola Holmes finds herself in, not necessarily about the core aspect of finding her mom that we see you know towards the beginning. I liked that. I really liked it because for me it felt uh, episodic in that way, and I love it when a character that I'm enjoying spending time with exists in an episodic universe because that means I might get to spend more time with her. I might get to spend more time with the Enola Holmes character and, you know, kind of figuring out what kind of detective she is and how that's different than her brother. And I, I don't know. I, re- I really dug that quite a bit. How did you feel about kind of the dueling, you know, plots? No, no. It made for a good storytelling arc because it was the whole movie is about Enola trying to find herself and who she right, is. Right. And to get out not to get out of the shadow of her brothers and mother, but, uh, you know, to become her an individual. Yeah, very uh, much about self-actualization. You know, the idea yeah. of, you know, figuring out how to be herself without depending on other people. I, I loved that theme. Yeah, very much. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let's see, what else? I mean, we, we haven't uh, mentioned Helen and Bottom Carter. Uh, Helen Bottom Carter. Uh, Fiona I Shaw. I liked her character. Yeah. I liked her character a lot. Yeah, she had a little bit of the the Tim the Tim Burton uh, shook out of her a little bit, and you know a little more of a, a straightforward. There's still a quirk there; you can't help it, you know, with with her and her performance. But but it it definitely felt more grounded uh, than I'm I'm used to seeing her in many ways. Uh, so yeah. yeah, yeah, I liked it. Uh, <laughs> there was a uh, I'll say a shocking death in this movie, which the tone of the movie up to that point. Uh, didn't uh, it just came out of nowhere? We're like, oh, okay, so that's how you're gonna uh, yeah. do a shocking, like as in, I guess, brutality of it all, right? Where I'm like, oh, okay, oh, <laughs> is this? I thought this was a PG movie going up to this point, yeah. not an MR. Um, but uh, th- then I looked back at the movie and I'm like, no, there were some really adult, mature themes going on in this sure. movie. It's just that she is. There's an innocence to her, but there's also a strength to her. And I guess, like, up until that point, I was really focusing on the innocent, really trying to realize who she is aspect. And I'm like, oh, no, no, this is a... a it could even be a young adult movie or just, you know, a, a anything, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But... Yeah, they're right. Um, you're right. It was that one moment. It was like, oh, there's the 13 in the PG-13. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, what did you... Th- I hate to say this because okay, I'll, it's a negative, but it shouldn't be if that makes sense. Okay, All right. my one negative is when I'm watching a Sherlock Holmes movie, which this is why it shouldn't be. This is not a Sherlock Holmes movie, you Correct. know. Correct. Uh, but it is, you know, an investigation movie. I've found that the the overall question, like the answer to the riddle, the the detectiveness of it all, the the question. I found was way too easy to solve. I, you know, and I was saying, I was thinking, is this, you know, just like, okay, uh, Enola, this is your introduction into the, uh, the idea and the world of, you know, detective, detective work, or is it, is it just lazy? I don't know. I think you're walking a tightrope there if you're making this movie because you're dealing with the sister of the greatest detective, uh, fiction, de- fictional detective in the history of fiction, right? Like this is, I mean, you know, Sherlock Holmes is synonymous with detective. Um, and mm-hmm. so you're dealing in a world where uh, he is part of that world too and she is so much younger than him. And so you don't want it to be like Sherlock level deduction, but at the same time, because otherwise it kind of denounces all the Sherlock home fiction when he had a sister that was smarter than he was or whatever kind of idea. Um, no. you, you want it to be different. You want it to be a different kind of thing. And I think they, they try to do that with the wordplay and the word puzzles. Um, you know, if, if, if Sherlock's thing is deduction, 
then Enola's thing seems to be uh, cryptography, uh, seems to be the mm -hmm. idea of solving riddles, solving puzzles, um, you know, using words to mean different things, codes. She's a code Cyphers. breaker. Yeah, she's a cypherist, yeah. a code breaker. I like that. I like that that's her thing, and some of those things that she was given to do in that area felt like she owned them and didn't have to live up to, you know, Sherlock's power of deduction. That's his thing. Deduction is his thing. Code breaking's her thing. And I, I kind of enjoyed that. But I think you're walking a tightrope with the case because detective cases are about deduction. And so it's it's hard to solve a, a detective case based on, you know, just crypto cryptography or ciphers yeah. or those kind of things. So um, yeah, it was a little simple. It really was one of those cases where it's like once a piece of information was known, it was obvious what was going on. It was just finding that information. Yeah. Um, so, but I, I, it didn't bother me. It didn't. It really didn't bother me too much um, that it was that. See, simple. Yeah, that's why I was saying it's a negative for me, but it shouldn't be. You know, it's like that's just the way the movie chose to go. Right. And my, uh, what I guess you could say, my previous knowledge of certain characters gave me an expectation but it's not what the movie it's not the story the movie wanted to tell right which is good so yeah. why is it a negative i don't know it's the way <laughs> my brain works yeah no i think it's more of a positive than a negative for me because again i think they are trying to develop her to be different than her brother in yeah. in many ways and but uh, you know most of that stuff was with her mom uh, and so, you know, the, the actual key case did, I can see how some would feel it was a little bit light. It was a little bit, um, unchallenging, uh, for when you're used to detective stuff. Um, yeah. The only other thing I would say about this, uh, again, I liked this movie. Uh, the only other thing I, I, I would say, uh, about it is I find, and this actually has nothing to do with actually this movie, but just a general thought. I find Sherlock Holmes stuff to be one of the biggest arguments for the reinstating of uh, public domain um, because the fact that that we get so many Sherlock Holmes things, people will say like, if if Disney has to relent their ownership of Mickey Mouse, you know, what's going to happen? And it's like, well, lots of things could happen, but also so many different people could make Mickey Mouse movies or do something different with the character. It's a, it's a weird example when you're talking Sherlock Holmes. But anytime I see hmm. something Sherlock Holmes, I'm reminded of the power of public domain where Netflix can make this movie. They don't have to get rights from anybody. Sherlock Holmes, the character, the world, the characters in it, that's all public domain. They can just tell the story that they want to tell. And I think that's that was the intent of public domain was something that is so popular that it belongs to the public now, not, you know, a person uh, or a company, uh, despite who owns the rights. So I think we've we've entered into so much of a copyright era where big corporations own the rights to tell stories about certain things uh, that we've lost the idea of eventually that should be in public domain and probably sooner rather than later uh, when you really think about it. So that's me back up at my uh, copyright uh, soapbox, but that's going to happen every every once in a while <laughs> when you're dealing with me. Did you have uh, did you have one last thing? Uh, no post-credit scene. Well, there you go. There you go. You can always tell with a Netflix movie when they're they're done showing you stuff because it'll immediately pop up something to click on <laughs> to, to yeah. go to the next thing. I even went past that uh, as far as it would allow me. Oh, did which you? Yeah, it's a disservice to the credits if people are like, hey, I was in this movie. It's going to be on Netflix. You, uh, look for my name in the credits. And Netflix is like, no. <laughs> yeah. Go watch the Umbrella Academy. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Go see the next huh? thing. I think this is a recommend. I think this is a recommend. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Go check it out. It's it's a lot of fun. Um, you know, there's there's a lightness to it. I, I haven't really talked about my negatives. You kind of mentioned uh, most of them. Um, the Sherlock character was wasn't really a huge negative to me, but it was definitely something where I was like, okay, I kind of I wanted the Sherlock I knew, not necessarily the Sherlock that's being presented to me in some ways. Um, but I think for me, the reason I'm not in the loved it camp is is the lightness of the movie. It doesn't feel like something I'm itching to revisit. It feels like something yeah. I want another episode of. In many ways, it, it does. It feels like a TV pilot, right? It feels like a TV yeah. show that I want to see the next episode of. And that is both a compliment and a little bit of a... It's a backhanded compliment in some ways, right? And that and that's yeah. kind of how it feels. It, it kind of feels a little light to me. And so that's why I'm not quite in the loved it category. I have no problem with movies sequel baiting. You know, trying to... Sure. Uh, you know, hey, you can definitely make more of this. Because I think that there's a, a, a sequential... Uh, 
element to Sherlock, you know, the multiple books, multiple shows, multiple movies, you know, there's like, there's, it's a series. So I think that it's kind of, uh, expected that something in that universe would also be serialized, I Mm -hmm. guess. Sure. So, yep. Check it out. We both liked it. Uh, Andrew, uh, almost sneak snuck into the loved it really, really close. Super high side. I liked it. I had a lot of fun and I had a lot of fun with this one. It is fun. And we didn't even really, uh, land on the sense of humor much, but it's, it, there's a great sense of humor, uh, in this movie. Uh, you will smile quite a bit. Uh, let's move on to console wars. It's the hot new buzz, video games. Nintendo! With 95% or more of the market, we were the video game industry. But then it changed. It was hard to build a major video game system. None of us really knew if Sega was going to be a success. The challenges we had were the very strong presence of Nintendo. We needed something to compete with Mario. A look back to 1990 when Sega, then a fledgling arcade company, assembled a team of underdogs to take on the greatest video game company in the world, Nintendo. Uh, this is a documentary that I feel like I lived. <laughs> like, Oh yeah, I me remember, too. I remember this very much. In fact, I think that is this is a kind of a good way to start the conversation here, even before we get to the liked it, loved it part. Um, give me an idea of who Andrew Ormsby is in 1990. Sega! <laughs> uh, no, I, I started off, I will say this, uh, I did start off playing Nintendo. Um, but whenever the Genesis came out, I swiftly transitioned over to Sega. And uh, that's where I lived until uh, PlayStation. Uh, I think I stayed there until PlayStation. No, 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 I got the first PlayStation, yeah. I don't know why I hesitated on that thought, but I did. Uh, yeah. So I went, I went Nintendo, <laughs> Sega, PlayStation, <laughs> and then Xbox. And I've been Xbox ever since. But uh, the 90s, uh, and that's, it's... This is what this documentary is about. There was a Jets, Sharks, uh, Mercutio's, uh, or Capulets. I forget how the actual... Uh, <laughs> Montague's and the Capulets. Montague's and the Cap. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was a rivalry between Sega and Nintendo, and, and lines were drawn. All right, I want to get, get into all that, but basically I just wanted... Like, how old were you in 1990? Uh... Four and five. Yeah. Okay, so you grew up like your your like memories of living in this world started around the the time that this battle between Sega and Nintendo started. Like you 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 yeah. grew up with this. I am a little bit older than you. Uh, I in nineteen in night just just a tad, uh, just yeah. a decade or so. Um, yeah. In nineteen ninety, uh, I was fifteen. Uh, I was in high school, um, and so I can you know the idea the. This is why I mentioned this, because I think it's going to shade kind of how we see this story, because I was kind of beyond a little bit uh, the the um, the video game uh, transition that this this movie is focusing on. And so mm-hmm. I was a Nintendo kid because it was all that was really available. I mean, we, there there were oh, consoles yeah. before Nintendo, but Nintendo was the thing that was like, oh, this is what a home video game console is supposed to be like. And so yeah, I was, they even ta- they even touch on Atari a little this, bit, which yeah. I had an Atari, yeah, um, just Pong. That was it. Yeah. Um, so so I think this will be interesting to kind of see our different perspectives based on kind of where we were in our childhood slash growing up, uh, you know, age during this thing. Um, but what do you think? Did you like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay? Uh, it's better than my rating. I'll say that. I know it is, but I liked it. But I, I know it's better than that. Yeah, I'm actually on the low side of liked it. I I, st- I still would say I liked it as well. Um, I it's it's a little bit dry. It's it doesn't quite get into. I hear here's my main issue, and it's in it's kind of my own expectations fault. But I do think they mistitled this movie uh, because I went into this thinking it was more of a broad look at video game consoles through the ages and the not just the battle of Nintendo and Sega, but then the battle of you know, uh, how PlayStation came in and then Xbox and then Nintendo fought back with the Wii, but that was different. You know, I was thinking it was going to be a little more expansive. This is specifically a documentary about Sega. 
the title of this yeah. movie should have had Sega in the title in some way or another because this is this is a documentary about Sega trying to and succeeding by the way to upend uh Nintendo being the absolute dominant video game powerhouse which is a worthy thing i just think because it was called console wars my own expectations betrayed me a little bit and i wanted more and i had also just seen um a couple episodes of the the netflix um documentary as well that kind of covers a broader aspect of video games and the name of it's slipping my brain right now um I, I'll have to look it up, or somebody else yeah. can. Somebody can let me know in the comments. But Nintendo, or uh, Nintendo, Netflix has a uh, a video game uh, kind of um, documentary going on right now too. That is a little broader, and so I think that's probably why the main reason it, it didn't quite live up to my expectations is it's just kind of a narrow topic, um, but an interesting one. And so that's why I liked it. The topic is still interesting. Um, so yeah. yeah, what are some more of your thoughts, Andrew? <clears throat> um, I had a feeling that whenever are you. Because you're not really a massive video game person. No, right? I played a lot of Nintendo, uh, the, the NES. I played a lot of the NES. I played a lot of mm -hmm. the Super Nintendo. Uh, I played a lot of 64. Um, Nintendo 64 was really the last... I had a GameCube that I played quite a bit, but that's when I started mm -hmm. having kids was when uh, the GameCube was popular. Um, so, so yeah. And th but then, you know, but then everybody had a Wii. So, you know, I had a Wii as well, and I would play bowling. Like, I, I, you know, I kill Wii bowling. So, like, you know, there's these little bits and pieces of, you know, video gaming that have lived on with me. But I officially stopped gaming in that way, console gaming. I officially stopped with um, Skyward Sword, with Zelda Skyward Sword. I played that for a little bit, and it just, I, I couldn't hook myself into it. Um, so that was kind of, that was the one I was like, okay, I think, I think maybe... Maybe giving my time to this is, you know, not not what I'm doing um, anymore. Mm. So, and thank you uh, in the chat. High score is the name of the documentary on uh, Netflix. It's called oh, okay. High Score. So, yeah. Um, well, the reason why I bring that up is because I, as you might know, am an avid video game player. Yes, still. So, still, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, ever since uh, I got my first Nintendo, I, I think I've just been a video game person, but. Um, the, the reason why I brought that up is whenever I saw that this was called Console Wars, I had a feeling it was about Nintendo and Sega. I had a feeling, because whenever people talk about Console Wars, uh, that's what people think of if you're like an avid gamer. Because it was a war between Sega and Nintendo. If you like look at PlayStation and Xbox right now, it's the, the uh... How, how can I best put this? Not brutality, but the uh, the competitiveness and the actual disdain for one another does not exist with Xbox and PlayStation like it did with Sega and Nintendo. Mm -hmm. Those two hated each other. They hated each other. So uh, whenever I think of console wars, that's what I really think of. Um, and the reason why I'm saying that this... Uh, this documentary is better than the rating I'm giving it is because I knew everything that was going to be said in this documentary. Not because, you know, like uh, somebody teased it to me already. I just there's a lot there's a lot of uh, known history here. How, you know, whenever they said there's a game that finally came to both console or to the Nintendo console and Sega, I'm like, it's Mortal Kombat. And then you hear the one guy, <laughs> Mortal Kombat, you know? Yeah. Or, um, and then it goes on, and then a new player from Japan entered the the game. And I'm like, that's PlayStation. And then like, there just popped up, PlayStation. And I'm like, mm. yeah. So I knew step by step everything that was going to happen. Even uh, the ESRB, which is the rating system that, uh, that video games are based off of, I knew that that started from Mortal Kombat, and I knew exactly it was it was Sub Zero's uh, fatality, <coughs> where mm -hmm. he would rip the guy's head off, and the spinal column was you know still there. Mm -hmm. That that is the reason that the ESRB exists, and I knew all that. So for me, watching this documentary, I'm like, okay, yeah, and then this happens, but then right after, then this happens, and this happens, and then boom, 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 it all showed in the documentary. I do getting into the pros though. I do like the uh, the sixteen. The uh, it started off with a eight bit sixteen, thirty two, and then sixty four, 
and then through that transition, we actually see, you know, because a lot of this uh, documentary is animated reenactments, you know, mm -hmm. of yeah. what actually happened. And I like the transition of the characters in this uh, documentary going from 8-bit, and then they would, you know, get higher resolution to 16, then 32, and then 64. You know, I liked that, uh, that progression. I thought it was a really interesting story tactic. Because if you think about it, yeah, I'm sure that there wasn't a lot of... Uh, cameras in a lot of these board meetings so you have to you have to uh, uh use uh, a reenactment because there's not any actual archived footage of this i liked the art style as well i thought it was really good um i i enjoyed hearing a lot of details that i didn't know um and so i did find this uh, educational mainly in the marketing stuff i thought that marketing mm. stuff was really fascinating the idea of how sega managed to overtake Nintendo uh, in sales uh, with the, uh, it would have been the 16-bit era, right? The Super Nintendo versus the um, Genesis, right? Oh, yeah, right? yeah. S SNES, which uh, was, a, that was the 16-bit era. Yeah, versus Genesis. Which I think the, S yeah. I think the SNES was 12-bit, and the Sega was still 16-bit. There was something, I, I found all that stuff really, really cool and interesting, and I, I enjoyed mm -hmm. that. Um so I, I liked that part of it. I, I enjoyed the uh, kind of look back at the games part of it. For me in my life, uh, I never had a Sega system. Uh, and if mm -hmm. I ever played a Sega game, it was Sonic. I thought the Sonic games were cool. And they touch on this in the, the documentary that there really was a speed to those games that you had never seen before. Um, yeah. and, and that was really interesting to me, but also annoying to me because I wasn't used to uh, to that and so it was like I just I would always lose my rings and I never played it enough to get good enough you know not to you know know the courses well enough to you know not run into stuff so um, so yeah so it, it was never a competition for me I was always a Nintendo kid but uh, but I was so fascinating to see the manipulation and the deception that when it, it went on behind the scenes uh, the idea that Sega really just developed this, you know, they are the ones who started the quote-unquote war. They wanted, a, like, that, that was the way to do it for yeah. them, was to go, you don't want those baby games. Come play the cool games with blood and, you know, that kind of stuff. And I remember that. I remember the, the feeling of, like, you know, Sega wants to be the grown-up gaming system, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. I, I definitely remember that. And because of that intentional marketing stuff, I found this documentary more interesting than I otherwise probably would have because I didn't know a lot of that stuff. So I felt like I was getting mm. an education on on it. But if you think about it, that's really the only tactic that Sega could take to go up against Nintendo because early on, and I think still today, Nintendo is a bully when it comes to uh, the way they handle their marketing decisions for the company. I think that they bully... Uh, distributors as well as uh licensors for you know equipment like hey you cannot have this character on any other console except for nintendo it, you know and if you do then we are going to sever our relationships with you you know they're they're a bully and a, an intimidator when it comes to uh the uh the uh, the console wars because even today you'll have characters that are only exclusive to Nintendo, and I'm not saying that having a first-party, uh, you know, developer—that's that's fine. It, you own that developer, you know. Um, so, like, if you like, look at uh, Xbox, for example, uh, Halo—that's a first-party developer. You know, they own three four three, which is the maker of the Halo series. Same with uh, uh, help me out here. Sony has a bunch too. Like, uh, sure. Back in the day, they only had, um, you know, uh, the Final Fantasies, which was Square Enix. You know, but Square Enix is now a third-party developer. Uh, I'm just saying that I, I I understand exclusivity to a console, but intimidation and bullying of third-party developers to make them only be on one system—that's a tactic that Nintendo, because they were the only they were the only player in the game, and sure. it's and that's how you stay on top is to it was they had a monopoly they had a monopoly on the video game industry mm -hmm. yeah 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 the uh the other part i found interesting was the the renewed focus of nintendo on 
the actual games themselves as opposed to the technology, which that was a big talking point. I remember when I was oh, yeah. growing up, like, yeah, the other the other ones. Well, and this goes all the way through the Wii. It goes through the Switch. It goes all the way through Nintendo's history. It's like, yeah, they may have better technology, but our games are more fun. And like, that's that's their attitude. Um, whether or not you believe that depends on what kind of games you enjoy, probably. But exactly. But, but that is their, you know, that's kind of been their marketing selling point. So to see that the Genesis, <laughs> forgive the pun, of of that marketing strategy back then was also kind of fun and eye-opening for me. So uh, I really enjoyed that. Really enjoyed the just kind of that insight into uh, a lot of that stuff um, that happened between those. I also really liked uh, it, it ends with PlayStation coming in and basically Sega is I'm spoiling it, but this is, you know, history. It actually happened. So. Um, and yeah. you probably know, like Andrew said, he knew all this anyway. But um, but I love the fact of that E3 when you know Sega's like decided to go ahead and push through and release a 32-bit system that isn't re- or 64. I can't remember if it's 32 or 64. It, it's a, it was technically 64, but they used two. They used 32 two 32-bit chips, bit, right? So it, it really yeah. like had overheating problems <laughs> and it, like it wasn't working yeah. very well. Oh, but, the Saturn was a nightmare. And so they're like, but we're going to push it through because we're going to beat Nintendo to the punch, you know, kind of thing. And uh, and so they pushed it through, and they're like, okay, it's four ninety nine. They do their thing or whatever, uh, or three nine. I can't remember. It was th- I think it was three ninety nine. It was three ninety nine. Yeah, yeah. So they're like, okay, it's three ninety nine, and people are talking about the price. And well, I guess that's what this generation is going to be. And then the then Sony does their uh, E three, and he just walks up to the microphone and goes two ninety nine, and walks and off, walks and away. it's over. And it's just like it's over. Like it's over for Sega at that moment. Uh, even though they tried for a little bit longer to stay in the game, like it's just. Just to see like the rise and fall of a company uh, that dramatically is, I don't know, it's kind of interesting. So Yeah, um, it's interesting because it, I don't know if, that w- if this is what the documentary's intention was or if they were just stating facts. But it seemed like they were really blaming the downfall of Sega on Japan. Like yes, oh definitely, that was the angle they America, were taking. America, yeah. yeah, America was the savior of Sega. They brought it from nothing and they made it a powerhouse. But then the the uh, the ideals of that now we're going to go back to doing things the way we want to do it of Japan has destroyed Sega forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's not Japan. It was like you know the 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 CEO, you know. It wasn't Japan. It was one guy who just was too stubborn to realize that other people besides him could have good ideas. And the documentary goes to great pains to show uh, Nintendo doing the exact opposite, where the the person, yeah. the head of uh, Nintendo of Japan, was like, "I don't agree with any of these things you're talking, you know, uh, about doing, but go ahead and do them," kind of thing. Um, so yeah, it was it was interesting to see, you know, kind of. Oh, overall. there are. That that's a, that's a, another thing that one of my biggest pros for this is getting uh, old footage of people that you know I just heard about as kids, you know, like Miyamoto and stuff. I'm like, oh, that's Miyamoto, you know. And it was just really cool seeing those guys that I got to fan out, you know, seeing you know pop up. I'm like, oh, that's it. That's so cool. I got to see them in the mm-hmm. documentary, you know. Um, yeah. yeah, seeing the individuals, you know, take away on what was going on is the highlight, not the actual historical elements of it, because like I said, that's the part I know, but hearing what people thought about uh, the competition or what they thought would have been a good idea, like the uh, the marketing company behind uh, Welcome to the Next Level, like hearing that story arc is something yeah. I didn't know, but I, I remember those commercials. Oh, I remember those commercials like yeah. they were yesterday. Um, well, even just but, the fact that the guy that, the guy that, that you know, helped Sega do this is the guy that made Barbie cool again. You know what I mean? Just like yeah. those little things. The miracle worker. Yeah. It's just, th- that's kind of, there's, it, it's interesting, right? Because there's two sides to this coin. One is like the respect of, wow, what a hustler who can, you know, uh, you know, manipulate people into buying something based solely on marketing gimmicks and, uh, you know, um, perce- perception. And, and then there's the other side of that coin that's like, well, that's kind of, where the whole mess we're in right now started <laughs> like the idea that that reality and truth is just something you market or sell uh you know through advertising or social media like that the the extent of that has become part of the huge problem with social media culture and and those kind of things so it's it's that two-sided coin of like yeah mad props uh for making it happen but at the same time it's like 
you know, uh, the salesman mentality has really damaged us in a lot of ways too as a culture. So um, I think it's good. I think it's good to keep both kind of things in your head at the same time. You know, yeah. kind of know both. Uh, very nice. Uh, let's move on. And uh, again, if you want to check out Console Wars, it is on CBS All Access. If you love video games or even are curious about the Sega Nintendo battle, I think you're really going to enjoy the information that's here. Um, so I... I think people who are not familiar with this uh, at all will enjoy this the most. I think that's possible. Because they won't... I think they're going to be like, like, oh, wow, it was this ruthless? Interesting. I think I like High Score slightly better, but I would recommend them both. That's kind of where I land. Oh, High Score is... Uh, that's just... And it's that's the one you were talking about that's on Netflix. It's on Netflix, yeah. Yeah. What's the uh, uh Oh, you're thinking of ins- you you're thinking of the the um the the Steve Weeby documentary King yeah. Kong. There we quarters. go. Yeah. That's that's the best. That's the best. That's right. Yeah, if you if you're only going to watch one video game documentary, <sighs> yeah, it has King to be of King of Kong Fistful of Quarters. That thing is so much fun, so amazing. What an incredible the story. Char- I call them characters because that's what they are. <laughs> they're they're real people, but it's they're just, characters. It's the perfect the perfect combination of an interesting story and then that story developing in crazy interesting ways as the documentarians are trying to tell the story. Like that's that's mm-hmm. just the dream scenario and and that one hits it out of the park. So yeah, that would definitely be the first recommend. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much to our Sift Pop members at Patreon. We appreciate you. We love you. Thank you for making this show possible. Uh, if you've been enjoying the show and you're interested in supporting it and keeping it going, uh, you can do that at patreon.com slash Sift Pop. As mentioned, we do a Patreon-only members pre-show that goes in your own podcast feed as a Sift Pop member. Um, and we talked about the recent news of the second largest theater chain, Regal, uh, Cineworld, as uh, the parent company, closing um, some of their theaters. In fact, news broke. They clarified some of that news as we were recording um, that bonus uh, for you, our Sif Pop members. If you want to check that out, all you got to do is be a member. You can go to sifpop.com, or excuse me, patreon.com slash Siftpop, or you could go to siftpop.com and just click on membership there. Uh, that'll get you to the same place. Uh, but patreon.com slash siftpop if you want to help out. And thank you very much for even considering it and checking it out. Um, all right, let's move on to our best ever challenge, Andrew. Uh, this was one when I said it, I was thinking there was more to pick from, but uh, Henry Cavill movies. He's been around a while, but he, he's only got a handful of movies. Unless I missed yeah. a bunch. No, you didn't. So I no, you really did. It was kind of one of those situations where I was like, "Well, he's in five movies, so I guess those are my top five. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's not quite that, but it's it's similar. It's pretty to that. close. It is pretty close yeah. to that, um, especially if you uh, don't want to include uh, any of the DC properties uh, that he's in, uh, Which or only, only did include one. one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I think there's really only one to include, but we'll get into that. I agree with yeah. you. I agree with you. Let's kick it off at number five and work our way to number one. Andrew, what do you got at number five? Immortals. It's not a good movie. <laughs> it's not. It's not a good movie. Yeah. But but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Don't this see is, it. <laughs> this, is, this is a fun one. Uh, it is. It didn't even make my top five. So apparently there are there are at least six. Um, but yeah, no, I knew he was in Immortals, but no, Immortals is. It's not great. It's not great. <laughs> it's not. And, you know, I mean, there's there's cool fight scenes in it, you know. Right, and if right. and if you want to see Henry Cavill shirtless fighting, you know, in Greco Roman, then I guess sure, sure, yeah. But it's not a and good. And who movie. doesn't, right? Um, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a swords and sandals. You know, it's got it's got that swords and sandals stuff that you'll know yeah. if you like that kind of stuff. But no, there's there's not a lot to say about Immortals. Um, no. Weird Mickey Rourke villain. Yeah. Uh, producer Phil with the uh, comment so far of uh, the BEC Immortals. He's in it. Andrew. uh my number five is stardust uh which i've seen half of that movie you should you should watch it this actually isn't bad um it's you would think it would be bad it looks like the kind of movie that would be like goofy and a little bit too you know weird but it's kind of got a princess bride feeling to it in some ways maybe i turned it off too soon because i was just like i got it whenever a homeland chick 
I, I'm having a brain fart, so I'm just going to call no, her that. No, you're okay, you're okay. She crashes down, and then Daredevil mm-hmm. jumps down, and he's like, ooh, you're mine now. <laughs> I'm going to go turn you in to save my, or get the girl I love. And right. Like, this is weird. This is weird. It is. I didn't even make it to Robert De Niro. <laughs> it is. It is weird. I, I would encourage you maybe to give it another chance. I know there's so okay. many things probably on the list uh, ahead of it. Um, but I, I think it is probably a, uh, the reward of low expectations is probably why I enjoyed this movie, uh, even as much as I did, um, because I was not expecting much. It, it looked a little too weird for me. Um, I, you know, didn't look like my kind of movie, but, uh, I kind of enjoyed the world building. I kind of enjoyed what was going on. I thought the performances were fine. Um, I don't know how well received this movie is generally. I seriously haven't even looked at like the Rotten Tomato score or anything like that. I just remember I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. So, um, it comes in at my, my number five. Uh, on IMDb, it has a 7.6, which well, is kind of respectable. There you go. Yeah. Maybe I'm not you, alone movie. then. Yeah. Claire Danes. That's what I really need to say. Claire yeah. Danes. Yeah, Claire Danes. And uh, Charlie Cox as Daredevil. Yep. As Daredevil in Stardust. Daredevil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the movie just got that much more intense and brutal. That's right. I, I really am really excited for the uh, the one-shot fight that he's going to have with Robert De Niro in this and uh, yeah. Serene McKellen. Yes, yes. I thought you were going to say you were excited <laughs> for him to, to pop up in some sort of uh you know mcu movie uh that has like uh now that they're doing like malt like it seems like they're leaning hard into the multiverse now so who knows maybe we'll get yeah uh, get charlie cox's daredevil in an mcu movie oh that i would love wouldn't yeah. that be fun what yeah. do you got at uh, number four, number four? <clears throat> it's where i got man of steel yeah me too yeah i honestly think that four through one we're gonna have the same list i really do Seems likely uh, we may have two and three swapped. I'm not sure. But, uh, but yeah, that seems, seems likely that we're going to have the top four, considering, again, it's four of six movies that we had to, ch- <laughs> to exactly, choose yeah. from. Uh, that's true. Um, I personally like Man of Steel. I think it's a good movie. I, I am with you. I am with you. Yeah. We're, I, we're in the minority. A lot of people hate this movie. But I think that Henry Cavill, first of all, I think that he physically is the epitome of what Superman should look like. Yes. Uh, he's, you know, he's got the charismatic, you know, smile, you know, he is truth, justice in the British way, you know, uh, I, a lot of people thought that it was too dark, uh, not, you know, visually dark, but I mean, like story arc wise, it was too dark. Uh, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. I think that it's just a fascinating, uh, way of telling his story. Uh, I don't know if they intended to start the DCEU with this movie or if it was just like afterward, after it came out, like, hey, look at what Marvel's doing. Let's try and do our own. Remember when we made that Superman movie? I think it's Let's probably get Henry Cavill back. I think it's probably more that, but yeah. Yeah. But uh, no, I was down with this movie. I, I enjoy it. It's good good fight scenes and good marketing for uh, IHOP. I think it's a, I think it's a beautiful movie, uh, and I, I did enjoy myself. Uh, I rewatched a little bit of it recently, and I'm not sure everything I loved about it holds up, um, which is okay. That, that doesn't bother me. It wasn't like horrible or anything. Um, but I, I do. I am one who thinks the um, the dark places it goes to, especially towards the end of the movie, do impact my enjoyment of the Superman character. Um, and so without spoiling, uh, kind of what happens at the end of that movie, even though it's been out for a while. Uh, I did have a problem with that. It did not keep me from saying I like the movie, though. I really do. I enjoyed watching this movie. Um, I just didn't like how they chose to finish telling that story um, in this movie. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. I think Michael Shannon is not as great. I really like Kevin Costner. Uh, I have Diane Lane. But I was surprised how much I liked Russell Crowe as Jor-El. I uh, well, I think the only thing I have to compare him to is uh, who was in the old movies. It was Brando. Oh yeah, it was Marlon Brando. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who was horrible. <laughs> Krypton. <laughs> Sif pop hot take. Marlon Brando, bad actor. <laughs> yeah. Eh, you, there's always going to be one or two movies that sure. somebody does that are just sure. terrible, unless you're uh, Daniel Day Lewis. But uh, yeah. I think we've talked about Man of Steel long enough. All right, go on to number three then. Uh, are we going to have it identical? What do you got, Probably. Andrew? Probably. Count of Monte Cristo? Nope, I'm going to trump you on that one. Okay. 
Yeah, we'll talk about so that next. I, then yeah, we probably have two and three uh, switched. Then I had the man of uncle, uh, the man from uncle at number three. Yeah, we had them switched. Ah, so you trump me on that. I really. Uh, which one do you want to talk about first? Let's talk about uh, since you mentioned it first. Let's talk about uh, the Count of Monte Cristo, which is about a uh, a person who counts sandwiches that are uh, yeah. ham and cheese fried with uh, powdered sugar, and you dip them in raspberry yeah. uh, jam. That's yeah. uh, what the movie's about. It's written by Alexander Dumbass. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's right. I think that's how it's pronounced. Yeah. Um. I gotta say this first off. My top three, I love. I love Count of Monte Cristo. It's I do actually too. the I do first. Too. It's the first movie I bought on DVD. Actually, yeah. Uh, it's uh, right afterwards I bought The Matrix. But uh, now the Count of Monte Cristo. I think that uh, it's just so good. Uh, Guy Pierce is a great villain. He is a great villain. And of course, you have Jim Caviezel, who just destroys this movie with how good he is. Yeah, I, I I love it. That's all I'm gonna say. I love yeah, it. Yeah, this movie and I, and it took me uh, going back to realize that Henry Cavill was the kid in this movie. I'm like, right? Oh that's yeah, the, that's he's a lot younger than what I thought he was. Yeah, it's like this is the one where it's like, well, we have to count this as a Henry Cavill movie just so we have enough to talk about. But it's like, yeah, he's, he's the kid in it. I mean, it counts. He's in it. It's not like he's not in it, but it's it's definitely yeah. not a uh, a Henry Cavill movie. It's a movie that not Henry even. Cavill is in. Um, yeah. yeah, I really like The Count of Monte Cristo. I think for me, the reason that it even goes above The Man from Uncle is because of the primary themes about revenge and grace and forgiveness and just, you know, the, the way the story, this story is just so beautifully plotted. And, um, you know, I, I just, I, this is a great representation of a complex story in a way that still makes sense and does what it's supposed to do. If you haven't seen The Count of Monte Cristo, uh, I highly recommend you check it out. It's definitely one of my faves. I really like it. Oh, yeah. Crazy uh, good movie. All right. So let's talk about The Man from Uncle. Uh, you had it higher than me, so tell me some of your thoughts. Uh, honestly, it's been a hot minute. I've only seen this movie, I think, once, maybe twice. But it's fun. I, I think that, you know, uh, Armand Hammer and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, and uh, uh, Henry Cavill are very charming and charismatic, even though Hammer's playing, you know, a brute Russian, you know, kind of kind of a character. But I think mm -hmm. that it's just a fun movie. I like Guy Ritchie movies, and this is definitely a Guy Ritchie movie. You know, you say that, but I think I think this movie tempers some of his um, more extreme instincts. I think he he plays this one a little more to center than most of his movies, and I think it's that's more why bondish. Yes, and I think that's why it's my favorite uh, of of his movies. Um, and I I had a blast. Oh, during really? This it's movie. your favorite of his movies? I, I think so. I think so. Um, I had a blast during this movie. Uh, I remember coming out of this and singing its praises, and then it just kind of like disappeared from consciousness. And I just I very think quickly, very quickly, this movie went. And I it, it's. It's very funny. It's great action. the The stars are, you know, beautiful to look at and doing great work. <laughs> and like, yeah, it's it is. But it is. That's the kind of movie it is. It's just like this is a spectacle movie, and everything's amazing. Everything's beautiful. Everyone is gorgeous. Uh, you know, everything is perfect, and it's just fun to spend a couple hours with these people laughing and seeing, you know, them do spy stuff. Um, yeah. I was I was really sad at how quickly this movie became underrated. I still think it's underrated, and I still think this should be a franchise. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed it quite a bit. It's crazy because it took making this list to remind me that this movie exists. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I remembered, I'm like, oh, yeah, I want more of that. I forgot I wanted more of that. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah totally. it's a shame. They yep. definitely need to bring this one back. Yeah. Uh, we have the same number one. Yeah, I don't think it's any surprise what our number one's going to be. Uh, yep. It is Mission Impossible Fallout. Uh, gotta, gotta, gotta cock the arm guns, Henry Cavill. Okay. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Get him going. Um, that bathroom fight scene is one of the best fight scenes in any movie. Yeah. No, I think it certainly deserves to be in the conversation. Uh, this, yeah. I think this movie deserves to be in the conversation for you know best movie ever. It's in my top hundred uh, of all oh, yeah, time. Oh yeah, um, it is, these movies have just gotten better and better as, um, as, uh, McQuarrie has kind of taken the helm and just gone, I'm going to make something special out of these. And I'm not saying before him, they were back cause they were starting like three, I think I, this is the general opinion. So I'm not straying from anything that anybody else hasn't already said. The first one's really good. 
The second one's eh, not so good. Uh, it's very wooish. Yeah, it's very John Woo. And then starting with the third one, I think this this <laughs> franchise really started to get an idea of what it wanted to be. And Is number three the Philip Seymour Hoffman one? Correct. Yes. That's actually my least favorite one. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's the J.J. Uh, Abrams one. Well, no, no, wait. Uh, John Woo's my least favorite, followed by Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but from three, I just think they've consistently gotten better and you know uh and fallout is the best one as far as i'm concerned i i love mission impossible fallout i think it's great i am mile too and it's not like you said the others are great love them yeah but it's something special because if you tell me hey what's your favorite scene from fallout i'm like okay yeah that's the easiest the bathroom fight wait no there was the halo jump scene no wait no 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 there was the the car chase through paris no wait no 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 in london there was the you know running over the rooftops no 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 wait 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 no there was in the mountains no 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 wait whenever they were fighting in the helicopter no 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 wait like every single thing like you there are no favorite scenes in this movie because the entire movie is just your favorite yeah you know it's there's so much in it and it's it's a movie that stands on its own as one of the greatest action movies of all time. 100% agree. Uh, it has to be at number one, and it really is that good. Um, so, yeah, Mission Impossible Fallout, you know, our number one for the best ever challenge this week. Um, so there you go. All right, we are to the uh, buried treasure, my friend. Um, that yeah. one thing in any area of pop culture that you want to make sure people know about um, I can go first uh, yeah. if you want. Uh, I finally got around to watching the first couple episodes of the new season of Fargo uh, on FX uh, on Hulu. Ooh, please tell me. Please tell me. I've been wondering. What do you want to know? What shall I tell you, Andrew? What shall I tell you? Is it good? It's great. Is here's, it? Here's, oh, here's the thing goodness. with Fargo. I forget somehow in between seasons how great this show is. Every single new season comes. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I should probably watch Fargo. And I turn it on. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is amazing. And yeah. I just think here's what I think it is, because I know for many this might not work, kind of what's going on here. But Noah Hawley just has my number in a lot of ways. I like the freshness of the way he presents stories. He's not afraid to make them his own. He's not afraid to do interesting, quirky, fun things. He's a perfect person to do a takeoff on the Coen Brothers aesthetic because he has that level of quirk to his work already. It's not it's not Coen Brothers, it's Noah Hawley, but it is it is definitely they, they come from kind of they're like cousins in, in many ways. <laughs> and and so I I just I I I have really enjoyed these first couple episodes. I think Chris Rock is doing great work. I loved seeing him in this serious role like this. Uh I just and for me, the intricateness of the story, I'm already into it even just after, you know, three episodes. Um, man, I just, I really love this show. The fact that it's a an anthology where every season can stand on its own, but it has connecting points that become more and more interesting. Like you'll see a character that you know was in another season and you've got some uh, one of those here, maybe some of those here. And I just feel, I just wonder if like we get to season six or seven and it all these seasons have built to actually a you know a place where they meet each other somehow i i don't think that's going to happen but there's enough like slight interconnectedness between the stories that you know they take place in the same universe yeah. uh so well you definitely know seasons one and two do yes you know season yeah. two is a prequel to season one yep uh, uh i'm not gonna lie i don't really remember much about the ewan mcgregor season yeah but this one's good I i'm enjoying it so far uh two episodes okay. in and i'm having a good time with it so yeah, shout out is to Chris Fargo. Chris Rock as terrifying as he looked in the uh, trailers? Yes, but also no. And I don't want to say more than that. But sure. it's but the, it's, it's it's a there's a nuance to that character that I'm digging quite a bit yeah. actually. There's a there's always something I find fascinating about seeing very prominent, you know, like top-tier comedians taking on roles like this. Sure. The one I always go back to is uh, Ron Williams and One Hour Photo. You know, just you know, uh, uh, somebody yeah. who you know as a stand-up, and they just make you smile every single time you see them, and then they try and do a role that just creeps you out. And it's, it's something about that just always, you know, gets me so intrigued. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. Totally yeah. get it. Totally get it. What yeah. do you got for your uh, buried treasure, Andrew? 
Well, it's October, so it's time to get into the spirit of watching spooky things. So I'm going to go back to a movie that was on TV, and it's a movie that whenever it's on, you have to watch it, and that's Cabin in the Woods. It's so good. I just want a movie where it's Bradley Whitford and Richard Jenkins just talking for an hour and a half. <laughs> they're my favorite part of that movie. Every single time it cuts to them, and <laughs> they're doing the the raffle about what monster is going to show up, and mm-hmm. uh, and he's so he's so upset that it wasn't a mermaid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's a it's a movie. No matter, it's kind of like a like a fight club or any of those movies where it doesn't matter how old it is. It's a movie. You just want to say, you don't know anything about it. I'm not going to say anything. Yeah. Just, just put sit it down in. and watch it. Yeah. yeah just put just it sit in. down and watch. It. I won't say a thing. And it's um, even one, it's even one you can recommend to non horror people too. Like us, neither of us are really yeah. like horror fans and we did cabin in the woods because it's a movie that exists. It, it, it supersedes its horror roots um, yeah. Now that doesn't not to mean, say it's not scary. Correct, and I, that's what I was going to say. Not to say yeah. there aren't things like if you're triggered by certain aspects of horror movies, that stuff is still here. So you know, you, you still may uh, not want to watch it if if that stuff's too much for you. But there's a freshness to it. But there's a yeah, there's a real well fun to it that kind oh, of yeah. levels it up in a way that um, that I wasn't ready for, wasn't expecting, but just made the movie you know that much better. So yeah, Cabin in the Woods is great. I will say that the elevator scene in this is one of the most satisfying, gratuitously violent scenes ever. Yeah. Because it's insane and it's over the top and it's so quick. But at the same time, you're just like, oh, that just happened. Yeah. Yeah. You would you would take off a couple sins for that one, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep, uh, there's not a lot wrong with it. My only I'll have to look see if you guys ever did uh, Cinema Sins for Cabin oh, yeah, in the Woods. Yeah, there's an everything oh, they wrong did? with Cabin okay. in the Woods. Yeah, yes, there yeah. is. Um, yeah, I um, the only thing I don't like don't like is probably even too strong. I don't think the ending's as strong as the rest of the movie. Um, yes, I I think the ending is the weakest part of Cabin in the Woods, but it doesn't ruin what is a, a really great experience. So because I think that it destroys any hope for sequels. I'll say this though. Well, in a not, Anytime... in, in, in not in a uh, logically satisfying way either. Like, yeah. in, like I don't care if you you know don't want to do sequels to it. I'm, I don't care that you're not setting up a, a universe to continue to make yeah. movies out of. I just care. It's hard without giving things away. But I, I just yeah. care. I, I want it to feel right. And I don't think the ending of this movie feels right. I don't think the resolution is correct. Is this? It sounds weird to say, but I'm. I'm being 100% honest when I say this. Whenever I watch a new horror movie coming out, at the end of it, I just I'm always hoping in my the back of my head where, where it'll just show Bradley Whitford and Richard Jenkins sitting behind a console, <laughs> and it'll be like, oh, it was a prequel. Oh gosh, you, you know, want a stealth sequel? Like you want like a, another a, a, a st- split no, experience? Prequel, yeah, or, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, where no they didn't. <laughs> yeah, no they didn't. Yeah, that kind of thing. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'd like that. That'd be fun. I'd, I'd go for yeah. that. That'd be a blast. Well, there yeah. you go, man. We did it. Yeah, we, we did. We did a podcast. Imagine that. Woo. You and me and me and you. Imagine. We took it to the next level. <laughs> That's right, we did. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today for Sif Pop. It is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You can find out more about other shows on the network at studiodna.media. Uh, or by searching Studio DNA in your podcast player. Huge thanks to Andrew for hanging out today. Thank you, buddy. Huge thanks to producer Phil uh, for producing the video and audio show. Thanks, Phil. Uh, much love and gratitude to our Sif Pop members for giving monthly to make Sif Pop a real thing. Support starts at three bucks a month, and you get access to every bonus episode, as well as some fun uh, perks each month. You can find out more at patreon.com slash sift pop lots of ways to connect with us feel free to email us at feedback at siftpop.com you can also leave a comment or rate us or leave a review at apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and finally if you're having a good time your movie loving friends will probably like the show too so make sure you let them know about it and that listening is much easier than taking a deep breath while imprisoned in a bulletproof corset uh we will be back uh next week with something or other uh who knows these days uh but we'll be back then and uh, we'll talk more movies then bye